from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. They call it March Madness for a reason, and the men's and women's basketball teams have felt some significant highs and lows in the weeks leading up to the NCAA tournament. To get the latest on the basketball squads as they enter postseason play, we'll chat with FloridaGators.com's senior writer Chris Harry and women's basketball head coach Amanda Butler. Also, with spring practice now in full swing, FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter fills us in on the early progress of the 2016 Florida football team. But first, there was certainly a lot of disappointment for Mike White's team when they found out they wouldn't be making it to the big dance, but opportunities for improvement still abound in the NIT. After a thrashing of UNF in Tuesday's first-round game in Jacksonville, Chris Harry says the Gators are clearly prepared to give everything they've got left. I think Mike White put it best, Adam, when he said it was a mindset game. He actually singled out Dorian Finney-Smith as a guy who probably could have turned pro last year and came back because he wanted to have a senior year and, and play in the NCAA tournament. That, that didn't happen. So obviously there was some disappointment across the board. I know Mike White was disappointed. Uh, we've talked before. Mike White was an assistant at Ole Miss for seven years and never went to the NCAA tournament. He was a head coach at Louisiana Tech and never went to the NCAA tournament. So that's 12 years as a coach and it has yet to be you know, in the NCAA tournament. So a uh, mindset game, you're going to a, a team that's a, excited, a venue that's excited about having Florida come in there, and that would never happen in a million years. The night before the game, Mike White gathered the team at the team meal, and he showed them a video clip of the North Florida Ospreys watching the NIT selection show and jumping up and down. I guarantee you know, Florida didn't have an NIT selection show party watching who they were going to play. This is kind of different. Over the course of a season, uh, the assistant coaches do the scouting and present the personnel and the, and the actions of the other opponent to the team. Mike White took this himself. Maybe it was a way to charge himself up too, but he went after those guys and presented, you know, North Florida, more made three-pointers than any team in the country, 402. You know, if you let them loose, they could get hot. They made 20 in one game this year. They made 16, I think, seven times in a game this year. Florida made 15 once. You know, so this is a team that could score a lot of points, but he also made it clear that they didn't like to play defense very hard. And as it played out, he told them they were going to get shots. And they got shots, and the difference was they made shots. And I have to say it's a lot different making shots against a low major opponent, even in their own gym, than it is with SEC bodies flying at you. And, you know, Florida was in great position uh, to win the game. I give them a, a lot of credit. Not only did they make shots, but they defended. And they knew they had to run the Ospreys off the three-point line. I can count maybe a half dozen times where they had to settle for turnaround baseline jumpers. And I guarantee that's not what North Florida wants to do. They want a bomb, and they didn't get a whole lot of open bombs. They got some in the second half, but with a 32-point lead, I think that was kind of mood. I think the Ospreys made their run, and Florida hit a few shots, staved it off, and ran the game out. What do you feel like is the overall message from Mike White and the staff to the team at this stage now? Because you're playing in this tournament, and obviously there's opportunities there for improvement, but what specifically are they trying to focus on that they can get out of this? Well, I know for a fact that the message is, look, you know, from the time you're a kid and you fall in love with basketball, you play to compete. All right, this is an opportunity to compete. 
you're just going to let the other person compete better. You know, again, mindset. Mike White, a fierce competitor as a player, as an Ole Miss point guard, it's an opportunity to play another game. And the guys bought into that. Now, you know, they're, they're going to have an opportunity to play another game, go to Ohio State and play. But uh, again, at that same meeting the night before uh, where he was talking about uh, North Florida, they showed a video of you know, some great NIT games that have been played. A LeBron James in Madison Square Garden, of John Stark's famous dunk in the NBA Finals in Madison Square Garden. There was a lift-out quote from LeBron James, if I could play 82 games a year, I'd want to play them all in Madison Square Garden because that's the mecca. He pointed out that Dorian Finney-Smith and Casey Hill and Devon Walker, and those guys played in Madison Square Garden a couple years ago when uh, Florida beat Memphis that Final Four year, and it was a cool experience. You want to go to New York City and play. So there is a carrot out there dangling. You mentioned Casey Hill, and he's a guy who's played really, really well down the stretch. What has he tapped into to maybe start to reach some of that potential fans have seen in him for so long? In the SEC tournament, he scored 18 points in both against Arkansas, both against Texas A&M. And I think the biggest difference, Adam, is this is a guy we've always known he can knife through a defense and get close to the rim. He's missed a lot of layups over his career. He's making more now. I'll say point blank. I think some of it is at the expense of him as a playmaker. I think his assist total is down, but he's scoring more points. The other night in the North Florida game, he pulled up confidently in transition a couple of times and knocked down shots. A couple of times he hit threes in transition. I mean, that's not Casey Hill. That's not the Casey Hill we know. But that's something certainly to build on. I mean, three straight games, double figures, 18 points, 18 points, 14 points the other night. He had five steals. And Florida really fed off that energy. I think they scored 27 points off 20 turnovers by North Florida. So when you're playing and defending like that, and he's probably their best perimeter defender, they're going to feed off that. And, uh, you know, I give Chris Gioza some props, too. He had 11 points and seven assists in that game. Really, really good guard play um, up in that North Florida game. But certainly Casey Hill, when you think about it, if this is something that he can use as a springboard to next year, then there's a huge positive you can take out of that because everyone's been waiting for this version of Casey Hill. I'd like to see, again, him marry some more uh, playmaking to it, but uh, you can't really complain with the effort and the efficiency he's played with lately. One guy Gator fans won't see anymore the rest of this year is John Igbunu, and the, the thumb situation has finally come to a head. What can you tell us about the way that's played out? Well, of course, he tore ligament in the thumb the last practice for the SEC tournament, and uh, they knew he could play with it, but it was just a matter of pain tolerance and how efficient he could be with that brace on his hand, catching the ball and maybe going up and whatever. And you can just watch. I mean, John Igbunu has had some pretty powerful dunks over the course of the year. He was going up the last three games and dropping the ball in, but the ball was going in. And, and I'll tell you what, I give the guy a lot of credit. I mean, he averaged uh, double figures with that brace on his hand. The other night he had 13 points, 10 rebounds. I think it was a six or seven double-double this season. And it was his last game. He knew going in the game it was going to be his last game because just as the timetable played out, the soonest relative to the best time to have the surgery was Thursday of this week. So his season is over, and certainly Mike White's appreciative of, of everything that he's given him in the 34 games that they've played in. But uh, you saw some growth in Johnny Bunu the last couple games, and I, I've thought at times this year Johnny Bunu has forced some things. But I think with this brace on his hand, he played a little more within himself. And maybe that's something he can take and build on because I don't remember him making any ridiculous plays. Uh, you know, maybe some bad turnovers um, that maybe you might have seen in the regular season. What you saw is a guy kind of playing a little bit handicapped, but playing very efficiently and taking shots that he thought he could make and getting to the free throw line. And quite frankly, he, he was a better free throw shooter with a brace on his hand than he was without. So it's going to be quite a uh, rehab situation for him. I think, Adam, it's four to five months. So he's going to have a long time to condition 
and work on his left hand. So uh, we'll see how that helps him um, you know, next season when he comes back. Next up for Florida, Ohio State in the second round of the NIT. And it's a matchup of two teams that are used to being in the big dance. They matched up in the national championship back in 2007, but here they both are trying to keep their seasons alive. And Ohio State's kind of an interesting story to break down as well. Yeah, 11-7 and seven in the league, but really uh, bottom-heavy in terms of the teams that they beat. I mean, smashed by Michigan State three times, smashed by Indiana, smashed by Maryland, played Virginia early on in a close game, beat Kentucky, you know, try to figure that one out, but also lost to Louisiana Tech, the team that Mike White coached for the last four seasons. So I imagine that Mike White will pick up the phone and be calling the – his uh, successor at Louisiana Tech to get in some pointers on Ohio State. But uh, what Mike White said after the game, he knew the disappointment after losing to Texas A&M in the SEC tournament, and he sensed it and saw it in a really horrible practice the next day when they got back. But he said since then they've been more engaged. They had a great practice the night before the UNF game, and really it kind of spilled over into that game. So whatever happens over the weekend and then whatever the Gators can take them this, this weekend at, at Ohio State, if they can prolong the season, I mean, again, they'll be one game away from that dangling carrot in the mecca of basketball at Madison Square Garden. On the women's side, the screams could be heard all across campus on Monday night as the Gators were awarded a five seed in the NCAA tournament. Amanda Butler and her team are heading to Syracuse for a first-round date against the 12-seed Albany with a potential second-round matchup looming with the homestanding Orange. After securing their highest seed in over a decade, Coach Butler points out that step one in the process to get to the next level is to understand how far they've come. Well, I'm just really happy for our seniors. You know, uh, when you reach that point in your career, you just hope for that last year for everything to go right and, and you know, to feel like that you've put in so much hard work to, to get to this end that's, you know, kind of what you deserve. And so I'm really happy for them to be able to, to celebrate their senior season with a great regular season and an opportunity to make some noise here in the new season. Um, you know, but there's, there's so much work that goes in. There's so much, you know, physical investment, but there's a tremendous amount of emotional and mental investment as well. And, you know, that takes its toll after a while. And so to be able to go into the new season and feel recharged, renewed, um, you know, just so reinvigorated with this level of an opportunity, I, I think it's absolutely what our, what our kids deserve. And I'm happy for them. I'm happy for my staff um, who's, you know, worked so hard all year long. And, and I'm happy for our fans, you know, that have stuck with us through a really tough year last year, been right there with us through, um, you know, everything that we've experienced this season. But um, I think, you know, whenever you work hard at anything and then you feel like you're kind of getting the reward or a little bit of an opportunity that represents recognition for that hard work feels good and certainly recognition of the body of work you've put together by getting a five c this isn't just slipping in this means essentially you're one of the top 20 teams in the nation so talk about that body of work that started way back in november well it, you know it starts even before then when you decide how to put your non-conference schedule together and and you've got to challenge your team and we do that certainly with the ncaa tournament in mind but you know the sec season is always what's just you know looming and you've got to be preparing for it and so we always build a non-conference schedule that's very tough and challenging so 
that our NCAA resume has a chance to stand out, but then also so we're preparing ourselves for the SEC grind. On any night, you're playing not just a top 25 team, but maybe a top 10 team or a top 5 team. Uh, and, and so all those things, I think, um, when you combine them together, if you have a reasonable level of success, if you prepare well, um, you know, then you, you put yourself in position for these sort of opportunities if you go out and, and win some of those games, and that's what our team did. The SEC actually tied a record for both men's and women's basketball with nine teams in the big dance. How well do you think that prepares you for this next tournament, having played so well in the SEC? There's not another league in the country that I think is going to go into the NCAA tournament with the the level of confidence based on those SEC battles, those league battles that, that our league can boast. And so I think that's a great advantage if you know if, if you use it and you push it forward into your preparation, into the, the mindset you have as you approach these, these tournament games. It's a long time off between the SEC tournament and then the start of the NCAA. So what has your team worked on since the disappointment of Kentucky as you've worked through preparing for this tournament? Well, quite a few things. You know, we really are treating it like a new season. So the first thing that we did was that we had a little party for ourselves to celebrate the regular season because we needed to put it behind us. And we really needed to regain that beginning of season edge that we had, uh, recapture the excitement and the energy and the edge that you play with in November. You know, there's hopefulness. There's a little bit of anxious anticipation. You're confident because of the work that you've done uh, in the summer and then the off season, but then you're also a little bit, you know, like what's really going to happen when we play games. And so, you know, we had a little party to celebrate uh, the, the regular season so that we would go into this new season fresh and with the right perspective. Um, we revisited some things, though, from the regular season that we felt like were big parts of our foundation, and that was some of our toughness training. We got back in the boxing ring again. And, you know, and then we had some really, uh, you know, intense practices, including we scrimmaged. You know, we just got our scout guys out there and we played a game because I think that's one of the, the biggest negatives of having that big break between the two tournaments is that, you know, you can get out of that game flow. And so we actually played a game where we have to think in terms of quarters and, and timeouts and possessions and substitutions and coming on and off the bench and, and not that just being like a practice situation. And I think our team handled that um, with a great deal of maturity. They really were game ready. And I think that's going to be important for us this week. This time of year, so many people talk about experience and how important that is. Given that over half your players have never been in the NCAA tournament, how do you prepare them for that challenge? Ultimately, what we believe in our program is, you know, what you dwell on is going to be the most important thing. What you dwell on is what you put, you know, on the on the throne of your life. And so we want to dwell on our strengths. We want to dwell on the things that make us a good team and a good program, our culture, the way we care for each other, the way we play for each other, uh, the way we celebrate things. And we're not going to put any energy at all into who hasn't played in the NCAA tournament yet. You know, that's, that's not going to be relevant for us. What can you tell us about Albany from where you sit right now? Well, they're really good. You know, they have three scores, two of their scores that are lead their league as number one and number two. And, uh, you know, a, a kid named Richards and the other kid's name is Tate. And they're a, a one-two punch inside out, very talented, very well coached. And, uh, you know, you mentioned experience. Well, this is a team, I think this was their fifth year in a row of winning their conference tournament. Uh, so they're used to winning. They're used to postseason. It's an expectation for them. Uh, they're very junior and senior heavy. Very talented, very well coached. Um, Katie Abrahamson Henderson is a friend of mine, and got great respect for her. Um, but she's built a little dynasty up there. If I remember correctly, last year in the NCAA tournament, they lost to Duke at the buzzer. So you know, this is a team that's not going to be at all intimidated by our league or our name or, or any of those things. They're going to come ready to fight, and for all intents and purposes, they're going to have the home court advantage. Uh, you know, Albany's a heck of a lot closer to Syracuse <laughs> and Gainesville is. 
As you go into this NCAA tournament, you hope to play two games that first weekend. How do you prepare for a potential second game, which most people believe would be against the host of Syracuse? We have a great staff, and um, and you know, just like any tournament that we've been in, you know, you divide those scouts up amongst your assistant coaches, and uh, you know, and 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 then whoever's got the two teams in the bottom bracket that we went, then they're totally focused on them and, and me and the lead scouter on uh, you know Albany will spend all the time game planning and watching film together uh, preparing for Friday's matchup so that as soon as Friday's matchup is over if uh, you know we do what we feel like we're supposed to do then we're ready to go in that next matchup whether it be Syracuse whether it be Army with a well prepared completely put together scout and the other thing that's kind of unique about the NCAA tournament the way that things are structured we play on Friday Friday and so do the people who are in the bottom bracket and so we get a chance after our game um, to have a live scout on the the people who we would be playing in, in Sunday's matchup so you know there's a lot of different ways we prepare you know for me I don't even hardly want to see the bottom of the bracket I, I've, I just totally immerse myself in what's right in front of me and and that's how I'll handle it I won't even think about those other teams and until that final horn is sounded. You've talked about what's going to make this team successful in this next season. So ultimately, when you put it all together, what do the Gators have to do to have a really successful run here in this NCAA tournament? Well, the Gators have got to be the Gators. Play the way that, you know, has earned us a five seed and, and 22 wins. You know, it's the time of year when you have to be the best of what you are and the best of what has put you in this position. And that's what we have to do, maximize on who we are, capitalize on, you know, what we look like when we play our best. So that means tight huddles. That means running the floor. That means a ton of positive energy, a bunch of high fives, a bunch of substitutions. Look to press, look to run, just do all the things that, you know, have put us in this position. While the 2016 football season is still forever away, Jim McElwain and company are already building the squad with spring practice entering its second week. With so many storylines to track following the success of an SEC championship game appearance, we sat down with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter to review the highlights. That, of course, begins with the ongoing battle to see who will be under center for the orange and blue. We'll start with three new guys who were no, uh, weren't even on this team a few months ago. That's a senior graduate transfer, Austin Appleby from uh, Purdue, and two true freshmen, Kyle Trask and uh, obviously Felipe Franks, who flipped to Florida from LSU last recruiting cycle. Uh, both of those young guys are getting a lot of reps because they're early enrollees. The immediate future, it looks to be, your race is going to be between Luke Del Rio who was here last year but had to sit out after transferring from Oregon State, and Austin Appleby, who has played 17 games at Purdue, started 11. Uh, He's the most experienced of the group. I mean, uh, Del Rio, while he's been at Oregon State and Alabama, he's only thrown, I think, about you know 20-some passes in his career. So these are guys that uh, it's a totally new look there. You know, last year at this time we were talking about the quarterback battle between Will Greer and Treon Harris. And Will Greer is no longer here, and Treon Harris's future with the program is uncertain. You know, he's not been involved with the team since January. So I think the coaching staff and Jim McElwain's talked about it. They're finally at a point where I think they feel pretty good with the quarterback situation, a depth there. We saw how they weren't 
comfortable last year, especially after Will Greer uh, was suspended, and that really impacted them. They had Treon, and, and really, other than Josh Grady's emergency, they didn't have any depth there. They have four guys that they can work throughout the spring and summer with, so by fall camp, you know, four guys who should be up to speed at least some with what they want to do offensively. But the battle really is, and uh, Jim McElwain said this, I mean, Luke Del Rio has an advantage right now because he's been in this program for a year. He kind of understands the offense, and he's also just a natural leader, it sounds like, from talking to other players. He's got a little spunk to him. I mean, he, you know, at the quarterback position, you need a guy who the team rallies around, and uh, I think that's one thing that Luke Del Rio has uh, in his advantage right now. We could talk all day about quarterbacks, but none of that matters, as we've seen, if you don't have an offensive line that can protect him. And this is going to be a big storyline throughout the spring because Jim McElwain's not just hoping that some of the returners are able to step up, but guys who were on the team last year but did not play. Yeah, that's a big emphasis uh, this spring, Adam. Uh, the offensive line, you know, for what they faced last year, you know, at this time last year they had six healthy scholarship offensive linemen. A lot better this year. They're kind of fully stocked again. But you're losing a couple of key guys and Trip Thurman off that lineup. And Mason Halter, a guy who came in here and ended up starting the last minute after he transferred in. But they had a good recruiting class in 2015. And they're without Martez Ivy, who was one of those true freshmen who started last year. He had soldier surgery in the offseason. He's not going to be available this spring. Uh, McElwain talked earlier this week about David Sharp, uh, a junior who started 13 games last year at left tackle. He's kind of been a rallying point for those younger offensive linemen. And the group includes guys like T.J. McCoy, Nick Buchanan, Richard Desir-Jones, all these guys that were red-shirted, Brandon Sandifer last year. These are guys that they need to elevate their status and you know get some reps this spring to uh, be a factor come fall because while they have better depth and more bodies there, they're still lacking in really overall experience after you get past Martez Ivy, David Sharp, Tyler Jordan, and Cam Dillard. At this stage, we talk a lot about the differences between last year's squad and the one we'll see this year. And another big difference that we're going to see throughout the spring is at kicker and how that situation has evolved. Yeah, you know, news came out this week that Austin Harden is uh, no longer with the program and uh, his career was shaky at best. He was 16 out of 36 here at Florida. That's not going to help you win a lot of ball games. And, you know, a lot of people are going to remember him for the one kick that he made that did win a ball game, and that was against Vanderbilt. He clinched the SEC East with that kick, but overall, the kicking game needs a lot of improvement. And uh, one guy who has gotten a lot of headlines and uh, he's been popular on social media, he's really the only healthy kicker they have here in spring camp is Eddie Pinheiro, a, a transfer from a junior college in Miami. This guy has a big leg. He was a top-rated kicking prospect in junior college's last uh, season. Florida was able to uh, kind of get him to flip from Alabama. So, you know, Jim McElwain's joked a couple of times that he's never recruited the kicker as hard <laughs> as he did this year. And he got Pinheiro, and it's a very uh, much a position of need for Florida. And all indications are this spring that, you know, Pinheiro, he likes the spotlight, obviously, if you follow him on Twitter or social media. He doesn't seem to be rattled. I know at the end of practice on Wednesday that the team gathered around him and you know, was yelling at him and stuff to kind of distract him, and he booted a 58-yarder right down the middle. So he seems to have that confidence that you want out of your kicker. It's a position that the Gators needed to overhaul there, and they feel really good about Eddie Pinheiro, and they're still going to have to work on some depth there in the fall, but so far so good with uh, since he arrived on campus. 
And speaking of depth, that's been a big storyline as far as the defense, specifically the secondary. And there's a lot of spots there on the defense where Florida's pretty thin at, at the outlook for this season. Yeah, I mean, that's a position that they lost three key players that have been a big part of their defense the past few years. And obviously, highlight of Vernon Hargraves, a junior, potential top 10 pick in the NFL draft. You lose Keanu Neal at safety, and you lose Brian Poole at cornerback or safety. He was a very versatile player back there. So what they like is they have Jalen Tabor back at corner. They have Quincy Wilson back at corner. They have some guys. Obviously, Marcus May came back and experienced safety. And then there's a group of young players around them like Duke Dawson, Nick Washington, Marcel Harris. They're looking at all those guys to kind of raise their game and see how they fit into the big picture but when you look at what they want to do this spring at them you know it's build depth and two guys are looking at harder two early enrollees cornerback Chauncey Gardner from Coco and another defensive back MacArthur Burnett from uh, Pahokee they're both here they're both getting a lot of reps highly recruited uh, had a lot of offers it's going to be just a matter of them how do they fit in how do they respond to the uh elevation and you know talent around them do they fit in or are the learning curve going to be steeper than maybe uh, we expect so either way those guys are getting a lot of uh, reps the coaches are trying to get a good gauge on how much or if at all they can help them come fall but I would expect just from what I know and uh, just from seeing them I mean they look like the part it's just going to be a matter of uh, how they fit in it's going to take some time for them to learn but overall Adam uh, you know it's still first week of spring camp I think the tone as always, it's kind of like who's in shape, who's not in shape, who looks bigger and faster than we saw last year. They're dealing with some injuries. Uh, there's some key players out. That does give some of these younger players a chance to shine and uh, get some reps that they normally wouldn't get. So I think really early in camp, more than anything, the coaching staff is just trying to figure out who are some of these new faces, who are players who were here last year but weren't ready, who's ready now to help as they prepare for the spring game in about three weeks. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you never miss an episode, including next week's latest edition, which will come your way on Thursday. As we move into the heart of spring with new sports to feature, we encourage your feedback by emailing gatorspodcast at gmail.com or by tweeting at gatorspodcast and letting us know what you're interested in hearing. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the Carrier Dome.